0: You're tuned to WFHB, volunteer-powered, listener-supported,
1: Community Radio for South-Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
0: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, April thirteenth, two 2020.
2: Later in the program, WFHB Assistant News Director Sidney Foreman interviews Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton in our first recurring segment of A Few Minutes with the Mayor.
0: Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Katrine Bruner reports on the state of abortions in Indiana in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. But first, your local headlines.
2: The coronavirus death toll in Indiana rose to 343 people over the weekend, including the first death reported in Monroe County. Monroe County Health Department announced Sunday morning that a Monroe County resident died at Indiana University Health Bloomington Hospital on April 11, 2020. The patient was over the age of 70 years old. MCHD Administrator Penny Caudill said, It is with a heavy heart that we report the death of a resident due to COVID-19. It is a solemn reminder of how serious this virus is and why we must remain diligent in our efforts to slow the spread. No further information about the patient will be released due to privacy laws. All in all, the state now has about 8,000 confirmed cases. The Associated Press reports for most people the coronavirus causes mild or moderate symptoms such as fever and cough that clear up in two to three weeks for some, especially older adults and people with existing health problems, it can cause more severe illness, including pneumonia. On Saturday, health officials said drive-through coronavirus testing sites are getting ready to open in four Indiana cities for medical workers, first responders, and essential workers with symptoms of COVID-19.
0: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention gave directions on how the use of cloth face coverings helps in the efforts to slow the spread of coronavirus. CDC says, quote, cloth face coverings should fit snugly but comfortably against the side of the face, be secure with ties or ear loops, include multiple layers of fabric, allow for breathing without restriction, and be able to be laundered and machine dried without damage or change to shape. CDC recommends wearing cloth face coverings in public settings where other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain, for example, grocery stores and pharmacies, especially in areas of significant community-based transmission. The CDC also advises the use of simple cloth face coverings to slow the spread of the virus and help people who may have the virus and do not know it from transmitting to others. Cloth face coverings fashioned from household items or made at home from common materials at low cost can be used as an additional voluntary public health measure. Cloth face coverings should not be placed on young children under 2, anyone who has trouble breathing or is unconscious, incompatible, or otherwise unable to remove the face cloth covering without assistance. The cloth face coverings recommended are not surgical masks or N95 respirators. Those are critical supplies that must continue to be reserved for healthcare workers and other medical first responders, as recommended by the current CDC guidance. Cloth face coverings should be routinely washed depending on the frequency of use. A washing machine should suffice in properly washing a cloth face covering. Individuals should be careful not to touch their eyes, nose, and mouth when removing their cloth face covering and wash hands immediately after removing.
2: To ensure continuity of operations of essential functions, CDC advises that critical infrastructure workers may be permitted to work following potential exposure to COVID-19, provided they remain asymptomatic and additional precautions are implemented to protect them and the community. A potential exposure means being a household contact or having close contact within six feet of an individual with confirmed or suspected COVID-19. The time frame for having contact with an individual includes the period of time of 48 hours before the individual became symptomatic. Critical infrastructure workers who have had exposure but remain asymptomatic should adhere to the following practices prior to and during their work shift. Pre-screen Employers should measure the employee's temperature and assess symptoms prior to them starting work. Ideally, temperature checks should happen before the individual enters the facility. Regular Monitoring as long as the employee doesn't have a temperature or symptoms they should self-monitor under the supervision of the employer's occupational health program wear a mask the employee should wear a face mask at all times while in the workplace for 14 days after last exposure employers can issue face masks or can approve employees supplied cloth face coverings in the event of shortages social distance the employee should maintain six feet and practice social distancing as work duties permit in the workplace disinfect and clean workspaces clean and disinfect all areas such as offices bathrooms common areas shared electronic equipment routinely if the employee becomes sick during the day they should be sent home immediately surfaces in the workplace should be cleaned and disinfected information on persons who had contact with the ill employee during the time the employee had symptoms and two days prior Symptoms being compiled. Others at the facility with close contact within six feet of the employee during this time would be considered exposed. Employers should implement the recommendations in the interim guidance for businesses and employers to plan and respond to coronavirus disease 2019 to help prevent and slow the spread of COVID 19 in the workplace. Additional information about identifying critical infrastructure during COVID 19 can be found on the DHS CISA website or the CDC's specific first responder guidance page. Reporting for WFHB, I'm Cade Young.
0: And I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: Governor Eric Holcomb said abortions are non-essential in a press conference and executive order. We turn to WFHB news correspondent Katrine Bruner on the state of abortions in Indiana during the COVID-19 pandemic.
3: On March 30th, Indiana Governor Holcomb signed an executive order to cancel or postpone all non-invasive and non-essential healthcare facilities in Indiana. This order applies to all healthcare providers, however, the discretion is left to them whether services can be delayed or postponed if it causes harm to their patients. The World Health Organization classifies abortion as essential health care, however, many states have gone as far as to completely shut down clinics. The order is said to have been pressured to happen by many pro-life organizations, members, and politicians. According to Time Magazine, many states such as Texas, Ohio, Iowa, Alabama, and Oklahoma have already taken steps to temporarily ban procedures by clinics during the coronavirus outbreak. The Indiana Executive Order does not completely ban abortion, meaning that some services are still available for Hoosiers and some clinics have remained open for emergency care. After expressing the healthcare facilities that would be put on hold, such as hospitals, surgical centers, vets, dental offices, dermatologists, and abortion clinics, Holcomb stated publicly, quote, unless of course by doing so would cause harm to the patient, in which case I would leave up to the doctor to determine and decide. Any and all medical expertise and personal protective equipment first needs to go toward defeating COVID nineteen, end quote. U.S. Republican Representative for South Bend, Jackie Walorski, publicly sent a letter to Governor Holcomb classifying abortion as non-essential. She said, quote, Such a clarification would demonstrate Indiana's commitment to the sanctity of life and to protecting not just the unborn, but all Hoosiers, since it would help reduce the spread of coronavirus and conserve vital resources, end quote. All Options Pregnancy Center is a national client-centered organization that provides support for people through pregnancy, parenting, abortion, and adoption services. Executive Director of All Options, Parker Dockray, spoke on behalf of the organization and how they have been dealing with the effects of the pandemic during this time. Dockray described one of the center's primary source of care to people in Indiana, the Hoosier Abortion Fund. The program will be five years old this May. The fund provides diapers, pregnancy counseling, and support for all options. Dockray said that last week they got twice as many calls as they normally would get. This, she said, is most likely a direct result from people getting laid off, losing wages, and losing insurance and health care aid. When distinguishing the difference between non-essential and essential healthcare, Dockery explained that dentist and doctor offices can only provide essential and critical care that cannot be postponed. She said a lot of family clinics are not doing things like pap smears and doing things remotely to continue to help. She continued to say, quote, Abortion is an essential healthcare procedure in all times, and even more so in a pandemic, not less. It is not less essential in this kind of situation. End quote. The issue of abortion clinics being essential and the availability of women's health care has been a raised issue and tense subject long before the pandemic arrived. Dockray expresses this by explaining abortion care in Indiana.
4: You can only access abortion care in Indiana until you're about 13 weeks pregnant, as it is. Um, so we work with a lot of people that have to go to Illinois Um, or Ohio to find care after 13 weeks. And that's, so that's another factor that like, you know, if somebody's 11 weeks pregnant now, they can't wait for two weeks. Right. um, Or three weeks or a month, um, or that means they're going to have to travel even further and potentially put everyone at more risk. So the more we can get people in um, for essential care. Quickly, the better.
3: Dockray expresses her feelings on the issue, taking states like Texas, for example, who have explicitly ordered the closure of all abortion clinics unless it is to save a life or health of a person pregnant for the next couple of weeks.
4: People, it is going to mean getting later abortions because if they can't get the medication abortion um, and they have to wait a month, you know, until hopefully this is either resolved in the courts or things loosen up a little bit with public health restrictions, then people, we're going to see people seeking second trimester abortions um, when they really didn't want to do that. And so I think
3: that. Dockery went on to express the importance of getting public health care for women and why the pandemic is putting more women in danger financially and physically.
4: People are even more desperate to access abortion care safely now than they are under normal circumstances when it's already difficult, because, you know, of course, it's, all the things that are happening, the uncertainties, the uncertainties about safety, about health, about, you know, does coronavirus affect pregnancy? What happens if you go into labor? Can you bring a person with you to the hospital? I mean, there's just a million things um, floating around and people are losing their jobs and they don't have, you know, then they're losing their health insurance. And so it's not surprising that more people are um considering abortion and looking and reaching out for resources and not able to access services that they would have been able to access, you know, before this happened. So
3: in terms of what All Options priority is right now, Docker said that the organization is fortunate to be already working remotely and have started working from home while still providing most of its services. All options provides a number of services including a national talk line, their abortion fund, and the diaper program. The diaper program has been providing diapers to residents in Bloomington and has seen an increase in customers recently because of people losing their jobs and having issues affording diapers or finding correct diapers from stores because of bulk buying. Through emergency funding from United Way and the City of Bloomington, the organization has been able to still provide diapers to people's homes with a no-touch, no-contact delivery service to give people what they need.
4: Making sure that we're trying to meet people's basic needs, which we know um, so many people are suffering right now, and trying to to do our part to do that Um and making sure that we're, we're not putting anybody at risk, our clients or our staff. Or.
3: As for the long-term effects, Docre says that it is clear that many of the healthcare facilities will face issues longer than the duration of the pandemic anxiety. She explains how All Options has had to think ahead for the safety of their organization and how the pandemic has made a dent in the public health crisis already in the U.S.
4: So this are going to last for a long time. So we're already thinking about kind of how do we keep you know, how do we restructure our diaper program? Um, and the abortion fund, you know, the abortion fund is pretty much works in this kind of situation, but just making sure that we're raising enough money and that we're thinking about how how we keep doing this over the long term if we can't have people come back into the center. Um, but I do think, I mean, it's just this whole situation has really exposed a lot of the public health crisis and just the failure of our safety net systems, um, which those of us that work in this, you know, do this kind of work, supporting people who need diapers, supporting people who need abortion funding. It's like those things shouldn't be things people come to a charity organization for. That should be provided. They should have enough money to buy diapers. They should have insurance coverage that covers their abortion. Um, So we've always been kind of working in this public health crisis. And I think this, the pandemic, the coronavirus is really revealing just how bad the support is for people.
3: Dockray expresses the negative effects that the health facility ban will have on abortion clinics, especially for those who have to remain closed for at least two weeks.
4: You know, most abortions are provided by independent abortion providers. So like not by um, right. Parenthoods or sort of bigger organizations, but like real community-based clinics. Um, and they don't, you know, they can't survive for a long mm-hmm. time with um, these restrictions and you know, and the added burdens that are being put on them, and, and so I think there is some some real danger of, like in Texas, you know, if those clinics stay closed for too long, they may have a really hard time reopening, and then even when you get to a more normal situation and clinics are able to reopen, then you have even less access um, in those areas than you had before. Um, so it is, you know, and I, I feel that way for all of the small businesses. I just think, you know, everybody is, it's yeah. going to be a real struggle to, to see what, what we can come out with. On the
3: yeah. other side. For WFHB, I'm Katrine Bruner.
2: Next up, WFHB Assistant News Director Sidney Foreman talks to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton in our latest recurring Monday segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. We now turn to Sidney Foreman as she asks Mayor Hamilton questions taken from our social media pages. Mm-hmm.
0: Community members posted questions on our social media via Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, posing questions to Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton about current issues. Today, on A Few Minutes with the Mayor, John Hamilton answers these questions. So our first question is from Facebook. It's from Joe. He's asking, when will the city start antibody testing? Most of us will survive. A third of us won't notice the infection. Another third will recover without health care. We need to move forward with knowledge. So Mayor Hamilton, when will the city start antibody testing?
1: Well, I wish we could do more testing right now. Uh, The question notes a really important point, which is we we have not been able to do the kind of testing we would like for this virus. And I don't need to get into a lot of finger pointing about it but it just is what it is Um, I do believe that antibody testing may begin even this week in the community now that doesn't mean all of us get tested but it is so important as we move forward into this disease that we we have much better testing regimes and uh, surveillance testing and antibody testing and those kinds of things which we will get um, the, the nation is just behind the curve on that.
0: So the next question comes from Kathy. She's asking, in a recent Herald Time article about money to aid city businesses, it was stated that the ordinance outlines a process for utilizing the money, which includes enlisting partners to assess needs and fund distribution. And she's asking, who will these partners be?
1: I'm so glad we have a great uh, group of people who I stood up about three weeks ago now to help really think about the economic recovery, stabilization, and recovery from the COVID uh, disease. And this group has worked super hard uh, over the last three weeks. And as the c- caller, Kathy, uh, indicated, the there is funding that's now available to smaller businesses and their employees uh, through them uh, to help support employment uh, and survival, frankly, through this terrible economic slump we're going into. Um, We have asked a group of people, including some bankers and including some community economic folks, labor voices, others, to play the role of uh, assessing the actual individual applications for money, Um, Our city people, we have a small department and and determined and incredibly active, but we thought it would be helpful to have a group. The final names are not all decided. We're kind of putting the team together. It's close, but I think it'll probably be announced uh, Monday or Tuesday this week.
0: Um, So the next question is from Jada, and she asks, and I quote, when will the city market divest from Nazis and move back to a city hall instead of disturbing the Broadview neighborhood, causing problems for at-risk people, emergency and essential workers, and causing environmental issues from dozens of idling cars for hours at a time?
1: Thanks for the question about the market. The market Mm -hmm. uh, has opened for the April market, which is kind of a little separate a month from the full market starting in may and because of the emergency order uh, and the issues of downtown it was decided to do that market at the pavilion in the switchyard um and the first weekend i can i can assure you was difficult there was a lot of traffic um the second weekend which just finished was much much smoother from all reports i wasn't there myself the second time uh and uh much less delays, uh, more people served more quickly, uh, and this is you know the market is really important to help support our local farmers and to help support uh, fresh food for hundreds of families uh, and thousands maybe in the in the city. As uh, the questioner notes, there has been of course uh, concern about who sells at the market and how that's done. The basic, um, basically, we're as a as a governmental market, we we are not allowed to. Um, officially make any determinations based on what people believe on whether they attend the market or sell at the market or other things like that Mm -hmm. and uh, we we are committed to and I am personally and I know our department is committed to offering a diverse and inclusive and welcoming market Uh, it's it's into its uh, fifth decade of service in the community and We uh, are committed to making sure it represents the values of Bloomington, uh, and we'll continue to work on that.
0: I think I would like to follow that one up personally and just asking with the environmental issues that she noted with the dozens of cars idling, has the city kind of considered more environmental ways of doing this? I realize the cars are to separate people, but if, I mean, are walkers welcome or bikers or people who don't have that transportation or wish to not idle in their cars?
1: Yes, walkers and bikers are welcome and they're frequent. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they, are, they are big customers of the market. Um, and I know that the second weekend, there was much, much less waiting. Cars typically, uh, from what I understand, were 15 minute to 30 minute um, experience at the market. Mm-hmm. uh and and i know some people turn off their cars we want we're doing everything we can to diminish mm-hmm. that um that impact and and uh welcome ideas and suggestions about it uh, but it is you know this is an important uh, community the local farm community and they um they actually the farmers market has had to limit the number of customers who want to come there in order to protect uh both the volume that can be handled uh, and um, uh, the experience of the customer. So we hope to be able to keep, keep building that up so everybody who wants to go to the farmer's market can.
0: The next question here is from Alex, and they're asking, why is Bloomington not on the frontier of cultural infrastructural technological advancement as a role model to other communities of social economic equality?
1: Well, I guess I I actually think Bloomington is on the forefront of cultural, and I think Bloomington is actually very much on the front lines of trying to support cultural advancement and and technological inclusion and uh, progress. Uh, the world changes fast, but Bloomington is a Bloomington is a very progressive and forward looking community, both culturally, through the arts, through diversion diversity, through inclusion, to be so focused on how we expand our cultural footprint and our cultural landscape, uh, as well as uh, you know, from from different new festivals and new new experiences to uh, to the mill and the new economy, and kind of welcoming the new the new entrepreneurs of the next age. So. I guess I don't agree that we're not that, but I'm not sure I exactly understand what they're asking. So maybe maybe we'll need a follow-up on that.
0: So these other questions are from WFHB. You released in a city release that your wife has tested positive for the coronavirus, and of course we all wish her a speedy and healthy recovery. Um, but what are some safety measures that you both are taking and would recommend for people in similar situations um, who are facing this pandemic in their homes?
1: Sure. Well, thank you for your good wishes um and dawn is actually in the hospital now she went in on saturday so she's getting cared for there uh, and we really appreciate the health workers and frontline folks who do that and we're monitoring day to day she's doing okay but it's a scary time for mm-hmm. us as it is for many i think i think a couple main points one is we really have to assume that anybody could have the virus whether it's ourselves or anybody else um uh, uh, because, uh, one, some of us are asymptomatic when we, when we get the virus. We just don't really know that we're sick. And two, even if we're going to become symptomatic, we can be communicable before we're symptomatic. So we really have to, to, to take in the fact that each of us can be communicating this disease or threatening to do so at any time, even if we feel fine. And the same as we're interacting with people. That's why really the physical distancing is so important. That's kind of the fundamental thing is to keep physical distancing uh, from each other as we as we try to keep this virus from jumping among us. And Dawn and I have done that for many, many weeks, actually. And um, she was super careful uh, in, in the house and in physical distancing, and um, she ended up have being a confirmed case, and I have never had any symptoms. I still don't, uh, but uh, maybe I already had it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that says back to the other question. Maybe uh, being able to do the surveillance testing and checking whether we did have it is important. But mm-hmm. physical distancing is first. Uh, using a mask outside is now recommended, not instead of physical distancing, but in addition to physical distancing. So, mm-hmm. so I'm doing that, and then um, just trying to trying to stay healthy. If you are unfortunate enough to to get COVID in a way that really diminishes you like it has done, you know, you got to really monitor your symptoms. And if if they get severe enough, you have to be ready to go to the hospital because they can take care of you.
0: Do you have a question for Mayor John Hamilton? Comment that question on this coming week's post for a few minutes with the mayor to have your question answered. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Jasmine White, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Katrine Bruner and Sydney Foreman.
0: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org.
0: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. Good night and stay safe.